I'm so tired. Why is my brain so yeah. flat? Yeah. The worst thing to yeah. hear go from yeah. the top. Yeah. Come yeah. on, yeah. come on. Right, I'm gonna do this now. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Big No Podcast. I'm your host, Pamela O'Keeley. And each week I have the privilege of sitting down with amazing individuals who share their stories, their troubles, and how they turn those no's into next opportunities. This week's guest is Nikki Bedu. Nikki has over 15 years experience in the TV and movie industry. Nikki is passionate about championing underrepresented voices and Fully Focus is an amazing production company that is youth driven. Also, Nikki is my cousin. So big up Nikki and welcome to the Big No Podcast. Welcome. Lovely to be here, Pam. Ah, well, we were just saying before we started uh, filming that we are actually pretty terrible. So bad. Because we have not seen each other for a very long time. I'm not even going to say how many years Please it's don't. been. <laughs> Please don't. No one needs to know. But it's one of those things we were saying, isn't it? That life, it's not an excuse. Yeah. But life is busy. We make these excuses. It gets in the way. Yeah. Things happen. And then before you know it, it's just, the time has just disappeared. Gone. And you think that you're in contact, because you're in contact actually on socials and yeah. Facebook and whatnot, you still are privy to each other's lives. So <laughs> actually the, the lines blur even more. Absolutely. So that's how it is. But I'm so excited to get you on this podcast. And I know that you're usually behind the scenes a little bit. So today we're going to be talking about, you know, your career, your childhood, role models in your life is a big one for yourself and for me as well. Um, so as an author, let's start straight at the beginning. Can you just give us a little bit of an insight about your childhood, childhood, where you grew up and who was the influential people in your life? Yeah, sure. So... I mean, I, I grew up in, in N10, North London, and um, my dad was Ghanaian, and as you know, mm -hmm. and my mum English, so dual heritage family, and one sister who's younger than me. Um, she's, you know, yeah, we all live in each other's shadow a bit, but you know, it takes mm -hmm. time to get out. Um, <laughs> sorry, H. So <laughs> my childhood was, I always saw my childhood as being very conventional until later in life when I realised that actually my family was quite different to mm -hmm. most families, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and I think that's also partly because I would describe my parents, my, my dad as maybe a, a working class Ghanaian and my mum as a middle class English woman. Mm -hmm. So you have um, race and class mm -hmm. all mixed up. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a, I had a, a happy childhood. Mm -hmm. I had fun. I had lots of energy. Yeah. I was running around. My mum's mum lived in Bournemouth, so I had the privilege, I guess, of being able to spend some time in Dorset, mm -hmm. um, like holidays and whatnot, you know. And then the kind of growing up in, in London mm. as, a, as a Londoner. Mm -hmm. So that kind of shapes you, I think. And um, yeah, life was, life was all right. Had, had a good friendship group, did lots mm. of sports, mm -hmm. um, was into films from an early age, yeah. just just watching them more than thinking about how, what the future might look like or yeah. creating them, just consuming, you know. Yeah, because what I remember coming to your house is that I remember like your dad was always cooking and made really amazing food. Yeah. And then your mum was kind of like this typical English rose kind of, yeah. and it was that combination of the two cultures together, which yeah. was so beautiful. Yeah. And always I have this vision and memory of you either listening to music or watching films. Yes, That's music all, was massive. Music all the time, yeah. with your baggy pants. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Fashion and music, <laughs> yeah. I mean, was, was massive. And trainers, your trainers. Trainers, <laughs> trainers, that still goes on, yeah. you know. absolutely. Uh, as does fashion, but um, yeah, absolutely, music was massive. Mm. So I, I think from 
early on in my childhood, my dad had a record player mm. and he had hundreds of records and it was a real mixture of stuff from Michael Jackson to, you know, Led Zepp. Like, m m mainly I would say it was black music. Yeah. So it was like R&B, soul, yeah. early breakdance and hip hop. We're talking 80s right mm. now. Um, and then he even had this record that was, I remember distinctly when I, from when I was about, I guess ages four till seven we used to like watch westerns and stuff together mm -hmm. and we had this western theme tune album so there was all these different musical mm. influences so it's massive in our lives mm -hmm. you know did you think at that young age that you always thought like you wanted to aspire to go into the movie industry or did you have any kind of aspirations to do anything else or was it always kind of like yeah music or mu musical I, movies i think early age um you know, going up to teens, you're just kind of living in the moment as mm. you do and consuming and just enjoying the moment. I always liked music that felt a bit edgy. Mm. And I think that moved on as well into my kind of teenage years when I was a massive jungle raver, mm. and garage raver and, and everything. But uh, and, and hip hop obviously is what I kind of grew up on, hip hop and, and dancehall. So I don't think at an early age I was thinking about how to make movies until perhaps GCSE level when you start thinking about what subjects you're taking yeah. and then you're thinking about media studies mm -hmm. and then you see that media studies actually involves the creation of content. Yeah. So who were your role models growing up, would you say? I'd say someone like John Barnes, who was a footballer. I was mm. a Liverpool fan and he was a, a black footballer mm. who was amazing um, and, you know, had to withstand racism yeah. to, to get to the top. So in my garden, I'd constantly be kicking a football around, shouting, Bond, and you know, <laughs> smashing up the garden, smashing up the flowers, all of that stuff, annoying my mum. Then, of course, I also had this thing where, just by coincidence, really, the Tambo family, mm. uh, Oliver Tambo was the president of the ANC in mm. South Africa, lived two doors down from us in exile from the apartheid regime. Mm. So he ran the ANC's overseas operations. Um, so that means that apartheid and South Africa and Tambo and Mandela were on radar from early. Yeah. So Mandela was always, a, I knew about him from early. Yeah. You know, we were going to school and doing Nelson Mandela raps and we just knew about <laughs> him. So he was an early role model mm. as well. Awesome, awesome. Mm. So how did you get into the industry? Um, I got into the industry, again, really through, um, uh, well, well, first off, the, even the kind of notion that you could get into the industry mm. and this is what a fully focused we kind of look at as well because so much of it can be nepotism mm. um, but my uncle my mum's brother actually lived in Rio and he was a cameraman and he worked on like wildlife programs and stuff but that just means that I saw something that you could work in the industry and earn a living from mm. it but how I actually fell into the industry was again the Tambo family mm -hmm. they'd moved back to South Africa and Oliver Tambo's son, Dali Tambo, had a TV show mm -hmm. and they said, why don't you come and live with us and maybe get some work experience? Amazing. So I literally went over to South Africa, dropped everything here, didn't go uni. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd say before uni, I was just being a typical London 18-year-old, annoying my parents, getting, <laughs> getting up to stuff I shouldn't have got yeah. up to. You know, it's mad when you think as a, as a father now, the stuff you, you get up to as a kid. But um, so I kind, of, I kind of fell into it and I went out to South Africa, New World, and started at the bottom as a runner and mm. just kind of worked myself up over like a four-year period. Did you get that instant feeling of like, this is what I want to do? Or was it kind of like a gradual process? Do you know what? I think I just felt at home mm. with it. And I guess that's because I guess I'm quite an outgoing person. Yeah. 
And so when you're an outgoing person and much of TV is about meeting people and relationships and, and kind of forming these new relationships to get to the end goal, mm-hmm. um, it kind of just felt natural. Mm-hmm. It never, I didn't really question it at that point. I, mm. I did question it later, but at that point I didn't. What were some of the setbacks that you've had um, since creating Fully Focused and you know trying to get things commissioned and... Because it's hard work. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. I know we've spoken about things that I've wanted to do with my books and things like that. Yeah. And there's still so many barriers. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them is like you need to get into the right person to get the contacts. But then even when you do get those contacts, there's still barriers in terms of gender, yeah. you know, race. Yeah. There's so much discrimination in the barriers that we still have to overcome. Definitely. So what were some of the ones that you had to overcome? I, th- I think one of the first one is something we meant we were talking about I think before we even started which is imposter syndrome mm. um, and again be, me being from a family where it's mixed in terms of race culture and class mm. um, TV when I kind of got into it here which would have been the early noughties mm-hmm. um, was very dominated by white middle class mm-hmm. people very well educated mm-hmm. I didn't go to uni mm-hmm. you know people have been to great unis mm-hmm. um, well educated very eloquent you know all of that and um, and even though I had a you know a middle-class mum I think because I was grounded and also you know from a working class family at the same time I would say that that element when you're in when you're in production companies and and the heat is on and everyone most people are from a certain demographic mm you can feel a bit like an outsider. Mm-hmm. And I just think I felt like a bit like an... I hit it well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I hit it well, just do your yeah, thing, you know. Yeah. But in there, you're feeling... You, you feel a way. You feel yeah. like a bit of an outsider. Um, and I think that's also what propelled me later on to start fully focused. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no kind of major incidents or, or big setbacks apart from at one point, I think I maybe lost a job because I didn't have a car, you know. Mm. Um, but then... When we started Fully Focused, the, the challenge was that we, myself and my co-founder, Teddy, mm-hmm. who I was at school with and was a director, we had um, this great working relationship, him as a director, me as a producer, that um, started at the genesis of Fully Focused. And the big kind of challenge was how do we make content that we feel has impact and says something mm. about society and unifies and redresses the imbalance whilst earning a living Mm -hmm. so that was the first big challenge Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and I guess we overcame that by well I actually had to go and work elsewhere so I had to be working at BBC this there I had to I got a job at a company called Trace Mm -hmm. um, that a friend of mine Kwaku um, hooked me up with so I was with him for like four years making shows with footballers and basketballers and whatnot and all the time I was there I was also running fully focused on the side and Teddy was running on the day-to-day and our great board members who are now with, with us in full-time capacity, mm-hmm. like Rosa and, and Rowan. So, yeah, we, um, we, we had these big obstacles in terms of how do you monetize what we want to do. We want to champion voices mm-hmm. from underrepresented communities, and we want to be a home for them and a family so that it's not like they just come in are with us for a while, disappear, and then we forget about yeah. them. They forget, no, we were like, longevity... They can come back in five years, you know, mm-hmm. they can come back in two years, whatever it is. But how do you monetize that? So ultimately, we just started small, organically, mm-hmm. doing community-based projects with a real media um, innovation behind them, mm-hmm. creating content. Then after about five years of doing that, 
we formed our own YouTube channel, Million Youth Media. Mm -hmm. um, and that gave us a platform to get our content out. So then we had a platform. We had young people at the heart of every single project and who met, met every week. And they still do, they meet every week. And um, they are workshopping ideas. Any ideas are run by them to see if they think it's, if it's an idea that suits our ethos, mm. you know? It's not like we can just take a project that's exploitative and do it and yeah. put it out to make money. That's yeah. not what we do. Yeah. So we had to overcome all of that. And we kind of hit this model of, um, of getting out film to young people which had a message that important institutions needed to get out. Yeah. So for example, we did one with Triborough Youth Offending Team about um, about knife crime really and mm. just kind of decision making and stuff and that was in 2015 slash 16 and that blew up mm. and that styled um, Javan Wade and Purcell Ascot mm -hmm. who went on to do you know Shiro's story. Javan's now doing stuff for DC in mm -hmm. the States. Purcell's been in The Innocence and loads of stuff on Netflix. They're great guys. Um, and then we did something for the Restorative Justice Council, which was about um, young people who've made choices that maybe have landed them in difficult situations and mm -hmm. have affected each other in, in the criminal courts and the like, mm -hmm. and then coming together to kind of talk it out afterwards. Mm. And then Public Health England, we had a really good relationship with them, so they wanted us to do a, a, a film about peer pressure and body confidence in mm -hmm. young women mm -hmm. at school who don't want to play sports yeah. for various reasons. So we did a film. And all of these films just started blowing up and getting millions of views because they were workshopped authentic authentically with the young team. Mm. Um, but it just meant that because they were funded, because all these people, they can't get these messages out by sticking a poster on the yeah. wall. What young person's going to see a poster and go, like, oh, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's not the 80s. It didn't even work in the <laughs> yeah. 80s, probably. Um, so... The model that we built really worked and with all the films that we did, our young people were trained. So they were all on set, you know, we'd have sets of 40, 50 people and they'd be on set in shadowing roles, getting paid, learning mm -hmm. the trade um, until they're kind of at the standard where they can actually take some of the roles on themselves mm -hmm. on set. Um, but that was kind of how we made it and overcame that challenge. That's amazing. So would you say that, I know you touched on it just previously, but what would you say some of the most um, societal problems that young people are facing today. We've got racism, we've got, you know, classism. Do you think they've got more now than we did? Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Like, there's opportunity now. So mm -hmm. again, if I take fully focused, we set fully focused up so that this would be there for this generation, because mm. my generation didn't have that. Mm. You know, we were kind of f forging that lone path. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of set it up to do that. So there is opportunity in terms of you know, things being initiatives and, and schemes mm. that people can join that were not there then. Mm -hmm. But the whole landscape is massive now. The financial landscape, yeah. the economic landscape is just mad for young people. Mm -hmm. Like, they're wanting to be able to study, studying costs. If they want to go to uni, it's crazy money that mm -hmm. they know they're going to be paying off for however many years. Yeah. If they want to get jobs in the TV industry, um, uh, traditionally you'd come in at a low level as an intern or whatever, you'd have to, who's subsidising your life yeah. whilst you're earning that in, intern money, yeah. you know? They haven't got a car because their mum and dad haven't got the, the money or whatever to buy them a car. Mm. I, I think this is more so young people from underrepresented communities I'm talking about. Yeah. But, but then, in general, everything costs so much money. Yeah. Housing, housing is a massive problem. Mm. If you have any problems at home, how do you solve that if you're in the same house, in this environment that's a pressure cooker mm. and you can't get out and you want to get out and tell your story? Mm. It's so difficult. Mm. So there's that. Then there's social media, which just 
is a minefield. How do you, what do you think about social media? What are your views on that? Um, I think, obviously, obviously, technology and social media has made the world smaller, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. You can share opinions and you can you get more knowledge about yeah. the world around you, mm -hmm. you know, without having to travel or find the money to travel. It's democratised mm. the world to a degree. But then there's also so much pressure that comes from it. Yeah. We've, we've done stuff with Public Health England on it again, um, which is workshops around the country where you kind of talk about social media, workshop some ideas, what if you didn't have it, how do you use it now, how could you, how could you lessen your usage but use it more efficiently, mm. just whatever it is. Mm -hmm. what, you know, what are you feeling when you're on social media? Yeah. How do you navigate that? How do you discuss that with your fellow young people? And it's a lot of pressure. Mm. Ultimately, it's pressure. Mm. You go onto Insta, I would say that, for, for example, you, know, you, you go onto a, a social media platform and you're looking for some kind of entertainment slash validation mm. and whatnot, but you'll often come off it with FOMO, fear of missing yeah. out, looking, oh, that person's done that. Yeah. Oh, why am I doing that? Oh, how that person's so successful. Yeah, yeah. Why am I not so successful? Oh, I'm a failure. You know, yeah. and, and it it's exacerbates that yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. You know what I've started to realise as well with things like social media is that I feel like we almost like get sucked into this mindset that we don't actually know what our own opinions and thoughts are anymore because someone will post something mm. and then you look at the comments and there'll be like so many hundreds of people going there, oh, I agree, oh, I agree. And I was like, but do you actually agree? Yeah. Or do you just want to be part of that kind of like herd mentality where you feel like, I want to be part of something? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then the one person who disagrees, yeah. then they Gets just killed. get killed yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I just think like, when was, it? there used to be a time and a place where we'd be fed information and then because we didn't have social media, we'd digest that information yeah. and then we'll come up to our own conclusion as to whether we think that's fact yeah. or not or right or whatever. Yeah. And we could openly challenge people and people need to take offence. But now with social media, it's just like you have to agree. Yeah. You can't disagree. You yeah. can't be different. Yeah. Or you can be different, but then you could be quirky different. But it's almost like I just really struggle with it. Mm. Really struggle with it. For someone who has mental health issues, I find that the more I go on social media, yeah. the longer I end up doing less work yeah. <laughs> like nothing gets done yeah, yeah, other than I start me. thinking that maybe I should go and do that now yeah. because I've seen someone else doing it and yeah. I was like but do I actually really want to do that yeah yeah human nature is always to want more mm. and want what you haven't got as yeah. well you know yeah. and social media plays into that really mm -hmm. well to keep mm -hmm. you locked into your, your screens <laughs> yeah. and whatnot you know and as a father of two boys what do you think about social media for them are you quite wary of the fact that I'm assuming they've got social yeah, media do, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you navigate that? Because obviously my children are too young, yeah. but they're going to get to a point where I'm going to be calling you for advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. you might not want to do that. <laughs> how, do you, how do you navigate that with uh, teenage boys? I think by knowing the landscape, mm. I'm lucky that my work, I work with young people, I work yeah. with media, so I've got an advantage mm. already, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I know the landscape, I use media, I mean, I use social media. I don't use Snapchat, which mm -hmm. is what every kid has got. My yeah. kids, are, my boys are 12 and 14, mm. they've both got Snap. Um, it's all been fairly plain sailing so mm -hmm. far. I don't rigorously, like, check their phones, yeah. but I tell them the 360, mm. I tell them be calm on social media, mm -hmm. don't call people out, mm -hmm. don't get embroiled in other people's disputes, mm -hmm. don't say things that you'd only say there that you wouldn't say to someone's face. Mm -hmm. and, and also just be aware that it's designed to keep you locked into your yeah. phone and that you being addicted and then you and I having you know, discussions or, or 
whatever it might be, let's say arguments or mm. conflict about the usage, the only people who are really benefiting from that are the shareholders in that company. Mm. So I just, re even though they're young, mm. I want them to understand the 360, mm. you know? That's good. Great advice. TikTok as well. TikTok is just like you can just scroll and scroll and scroll for yeah. however long. Um, and there's so much creativity in TikTok. Mm. I don't sit here and go, oh, TikTok's so bad. Yeah. You know, it's, there's so much creativity in it and it's changed things, absolutely. Mm. But, you know, they can scroll and scroll and scroll for, for hours, literally. And mm. what I'm trying to just gradually teach them is don't just be a consumer. Think mm. about being a creator mm. or think about if you are just consuming it, think about everything with balance. Mm, great advice, great advice. So let's talk about um, a little bit more about childhood, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I wanted to talk about the whole, obviously being in like the film and TV industry, for me, I, as someone raising three boys, I'm really conscious that, you know, when I buy them things or we talk about things, we are not kind of like doing stereotypical boy games or boy toys and things like that and something that's really become apparent for me recently is that when Stanley my second child started school up until that point his favorite color was pink mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and then about four weeks into starting school he told me that his favorite color is now blue yeah <laughs> and I was just like why and he yeah. goes oh because pink's for girls yeah and I was just like God, I thought we had a little bit more time before this happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was so shocked. I was like, this is a five-year-old who's been at school for four weeks. Yeah, it's real. And already, <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Everything that he loves, he's been told by his friends mm -hmm. or society that you can't do that yeah. or you can't like that because yeah. you're a boy and things yeah. like that. How are you trying to kind of like challenge these stereotypes with the work that, you, that you're doing? That's just, that is how it is. I think schools very quickly the kind of mass mentality mm. comes in and it and it does become kind of boy blue girl mm. pink you know i think with the work that we're doing like you know we we have young people um from different backgrounds mm. there's no criteria for joining us mm. um so they come from different backgrounds and they come with different ideas and different upbringings mm. you know and i'd say that we basically just cultivate a ethos of just be you mm. just you be proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. What you like is unique. Mm -hmm. And what you bring and what you can tell and what you can share mm -hmm. is your gift. Mm -hmm. And if we were all thinking the same, mm -hmm. then we would have one big homogenous blob of <laughs> kind of no creativity, yeah. you know? Yeah. And when you're f making films, we don't really just make films to make films. Yeah. We make films to get the voice out. Yeah. And that voice is unique to each and every individual. And that yeah. really underpins the ethos that we have, you know? Yeah. And you know how much I am a huge supporter of the work that you do. Obviously, having a child who's autistic, yeah. myself got diagnosed recently with ADHD, yes. and I know this is something that is kind of like present and going through with your family as yeah. well. I don't know what it is as well. I think it's a cultural thing as well because you know, mm -hmm. in the Black community, mm -hmm. Ghanaian African community, mm -hmm. autism, ADHD, yeah. they're like, what? What is that? What is that? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Um. And for us, we are, as a family, we're really kind of like struggling to a change the narrative of it to eradicate those stereotypes that you have with it, and mm -hmm. also show the world that. You know, neurodiversity, yeah. it's not its not just white. Yeah, it's yeah. everyone, of yeah. every gender, of every socioeconomic background. Absolutely. And it's really important that we start having these lessons. So this is why I started creating the books mm -hmm. and writing the books, because for me, for children to understand and accept differences, we need to do it early on, not when they're teenagers yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, what are you finding some of the obstacles as a father um, of raising two boys? What are the things that you wish you knew maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, if, if anything? 
Um, your first off, your books and everything you're doing is amazing. Like Thank I'm so you. proud of you. We're Thanks. all so proud of you because that is what is needed to change mm. the narrative and mm -hmm. to, to open people's minds, yeah. you know. What, what do I wish I knew five years ago? I mean, with my son, who is 12 and has been diagnosed this year mm. with ADHD and, and autism, um, I think I'd wish I'd known that earlier. Mm. So, because I think so much of what we project as adults, we project our ideals onto kids. Yeah. And we, you know, whether it's them, you know, going and doing sports and being good at that, whether mm. it's how they consume things, whether it's what we expect a normal person mm. to do or the, the, the very parental ideal of them being perfect kids who say yes dad and, and yeah. whatnot. I wish I'd known five years ago that that doesn't have to be the case yeah. and look inside yourself first, yes. challenge yourself as to who you are yeah. before you expect your kids to be that person. Yeah. And from a Ghanaian background as well, where we have discipline, I've also struggled with that. And I've also had my dad's voice in <laughs> the back of my head saying, you know, you don't behave like that, yeah. don't do that. So, and then, and then you're really aware as an African person, mm. you know, um, that you, you know, if, you're, if you've got African upbringing, that discipline is important mm. and respect. Mm. And respect is one thing, it's hard enough in a London westernized household, mm. let alone when you bring neurodivergency yeah. into it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a massive challenge, you know? Yeah, because I honestly thought that when I have children, I'm going to be like this zen kind of mum. Do you know what I mean? That's how I we always... Do. Yeah, I thought I'd be like so relaxed and yeah. so chilled out and like nothing will faze me and I'll be like, yes, I'll discipline my children, but I'll be like, I'll be friends with them. And now it's a completely different story. And sometimes, Reality. you know, when I'm in the heat of that moment and, you know, especially with Walter and, he, and he's having meltdowns and he's struggling and you know this, mm. It's not like a little tantrum. Yeah. It builds and yeah. builds and builds and builds yeah. and builds. And it's almost like they have to get to this massive peak. Yeah. But at that point, you are so emotionally drained. Yes. And I hear things that I say mm -hmm. and I think, oh my God, where's that come from? That was, yeah. Or other times I'd be like, that's my mum's voice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember how my mum, how I felt when my mum said things to me like that. And I was thinking, I've just said exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it's almost like this, you want to help them, you don't know how to help them, mm -hmm. and you feel powerless. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got this small human who's either, you know, verbally attacking you or physically attacking mm -hmm. you. And mm -hmm. it's just, you want to hold them, but at the same time, you want to tell them to just like, go away. Yeah. And it's this constant juggle of you know it's so hard it's so hard it's so and then the aftermath is that you feel the guilt yeah you feel the guilt you've been through world war three yeah. four five six seven yeah. all in two hours yeah and uh you then have to get on with your day carrying yeah. the guilt from that yeah and yeah it's really hard and mm. you know even for me and my, my career um i think where it affects me is it's, it's hard to go out the door and do your job to the best of your ability mm. if things are not stable at home, yeah. first off. Then second off, where my job also involves networking and mm. going out in evenings and mm. stuff like that, I can't really do that to the best of my mm. ability because I need to be a presence at home. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so being a present dad is part of my everyday life mm. that I put the utmost, mm. you know, utmost time into. But one of the key positives that I found and you probably find it, is that if you're working with a child who maybe has got, is autistic yeah. or has got, you know, certain challenges, you, you spot it so much quicker 
and you can be so much more empathetic, empathetic yeah. and understanding about it. Yeah. And the amount of times that I will be in a supermarket yeah. and literally see a child, yeah. like, and you see all the other parents like totting and looking at yeah. them, and I think no, kids on their back, back scrambling yeah. like a tortoise yeah. to get up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Arms waving. Yeah. And I literally look at the like the parent, and nine times out of ten, it's usually the mums. Yeah. And I literally like I would say to her now, like, do you want any help? Yeah. And sometimes she'd be like, no, I'm fine, thank you, because yeah. I've been in that situation yeah, where yeah. you're just like, I just need to sort this out. Mm-hmm. And other times they'll be like, oh yeah, thank you. Can you just watch my other child whilst I? And sometimes people just need that acknowledgement, not that judgment or criticism. And it's so important. Yeah. And we go on about this, like, be kind to each other and, you know, mm-hmm. kindness matters. And it, and it really, really does because at a young age, we tell our children, be kind, be respectful, be helpful. Yeah. But then as we become adults, we start to forget all of this. Yeah, it's so true. And it's so important that we keep having these conversations and say yeah. things like, you know, we don't have to understand everything, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't just on face value judge someone because they are different or yeah. they make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah. If you're feeling comfortable, then you need to almost like ask yourself why. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And not a lot of people will take the time to do that because it makes you feel quite vulnerable exactly. and exposed yeah. and nobody challenging, challenging and nobody likes to really do that. But yeah. that's where the real work it is. happens. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, I've got a couple of closing questions for you. So one of the questions that I always hear, and I think it's a really great question, is that we say to, we ask ourselves, like, you know, what advice would I give my younger self? Yeah, Yeah? because we've gone through all the trials and tribulations of life, and now we feel quite wise. So what would we ask our younger selves? But I like to flip that question. Mm -hmm. So if little, little Nikki was sitting next to you now, any age, yeah? It could be like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, what would he say to you now and why? And it doesn't have to be advice. It could just literally be a comment like a trainer's. Yeah, yeah. I mean? Well, it's funny you say that. <laughs> I, I think I think he'd say, you've done all right. Yeah. Don't know how you did it. Yeah. Don't know how you pulled it back, but you did all right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny you say like about, about the trainers because that's just something that does actually, is, is kind of just this universal language mm. between young and people that grow up still with that mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that our generation is younger in mentality than the generation above us and our parents yeah. for example you know yeah. so i think he'd say you've done all right you you've pulled it you've pulled through you've um you're doing good stuff and yeah i'm i'm proud of you because i think there was definitely a point where the thought of being a parent mm. or having that much life responsibility mm. was something my brain could never entertain yeah. you know yeah. Well, I would absolutely agree with little Nikki. I am very <laughs> proud of you as well. Um, final question as well. So with this podcast, it's all about creating meaningful connections. So for me, I love to get my guests to suggest or recommend somebody that they think will, would be great to have on this podcast. Do you have anybody in mind? If so, don't say their name, but if you could just give us a couple of reasons why you think this person would be great for the podcast. Sure. Um, yeah, I, w- I was thinking about it and... Um, like obviously, there's there's people who are closer to me who um, people may not know. Mm. Then I also thought there's someone who people would know, who is someone that I just think is a real role model. Mm. Um, and I remember coming out of the cinema. I won't say what film. Mm-hmm. He's he's an actor, mm-hmm. but I remember coming out of the, the a cinema with my son and my friend and my friend's son and him just being like astonished that the lead role in this or one of the lead roles mm. in this massive franchise global franchise was a young black mm. actor um and growing up i certainly realized that 
I didn't have enough black role models on screen. Mm. Um, and this is also an actor who carries so much weight and gravitas every time he's on screen, who would never do a role that he felt didn't have truth and something to say in it, mm -hmm. and uses his voice for good, mm -hmm. uses his voice to kind of unify and bring awareness to mm -hmm. certain aspects of life that mm -hmm. need it. Um, and he just, yeah, he gets bigger and bigger. He's, I'll just say he'd just done a film which was set in West Africa, mm -hmm. which I just went to see with my wife, mm -hmm. Anna, and it was just beautiful to see West African story on screen and see the colours and you could almost smell the smells yeah. of, the, of the village and whatnot and yeah. yeah so he's someone that would be amazing brilliant brilliant well hopefully we can get him on yeah. the podcast yeah, yeah. Nikki it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much you know how much I love you I think you're an exceptional cause. human being doing incredible things so keep going appreciate and, it and uh, love you lads love you too <laughs> yeah yeah